Welcome to the debris. Bienvenidos. This is where we talk about what was left behind by Hurricane Katrina and the floods that followed. I'm your host, Jesse Hardman. We're coming to you from WWNO, New Orleans Public Radio. This week, we're hanging out with a vital and growing population of New Orleanians. Partidazo Internacional de Leyendas, México contra Honduras, en el Tap Gomer Villa Stadium, en City Park de Nueva Orleans. That's an advertisement for a recent match between Mexican and Honduran national soccer teams. They played in Tad Gormley Stadium in New Orleans City Park. Before Katrina, a game like this would have never come to New Orleans, but the Latino population in the metro area has risen to around 100,000 residents. There's demand now for soccer games, taco trucks, and more. A lot of Latino laborers who arrived after Katrina are still here, still working in construction. Now they've started families or moved their families here, and they're sending young kids to area charter schools. Every Wednesday night, a group called the Congress of Day Laborers meets to make sure immigrants get fair wages and services. And City Hall's taken notice. Here's City Council Member Latoya Cantrell at one of their meetings. Yo me llamo Latoya Cantrell. No habla espanol. Your City Council will continue to stand with you, by you, until we get you the rights and privileges that you deserve. But the New Orleans Latino community isn't just a result of the storm. There were people here from Central America and the Caribbean long before Katrina. Lucas Diaz was born in Gretna in the 1970s. His parents migrated from the Dominican Republic to New Orleans and were part of a small group of Latino families on the West Bank. We had shops that we went to. I remember in the 1978 going to Mid-City to get a live chicken butchered uh, by the Latino butcher that was behind the old Monteleone Hospital. Diaz has spent his whole life in New Orleans. He's now a doctoral student at Tulane and the co-author of a report by the Data Center about the realities and struggles of the Latino community before and after Hurricane Katrina. Diaz met up with me at Norma's Bakery on Bienville one of several Hispanic groceries that have opened up around town in the past decade. By the time Katrina hit, we had been here, you know, a good 30, 40-plus years, multi-generation folks, children speaking English, some children not even speaking Spanish anymore. And then who arrived after the storm in terms of the Latino community? How are they different than, uh, than your family? The folks that came here were part of the sort of the migrant labor population that is constantly moving throughout the United States, and primarily Central American, majority Mexican, but also from Salvador, from Honduras, from Nicaragua, from Guatemala. And these folks came without uh, the ability to speak English, uh, not knowing the area, new to the area, maybe had a relative here, but most of them didn't, uh, were recruited to come to work. So the storm hits. What were the first jobs that, that people were starting to come to do? Yeah, they were brought in specifically to remove debris initially. Uh, a lot of unsafe work. Uh, part of the problems that gave rise to a lot of the advocacy around labor issues, immigration issues with this population, uh, particularly in New Orleans, was around sort of the labor abuse because they were recruited to come to work, but they were working for low wages and unsafe conditions. 
Were there any federal policies that kicked in after the storm that kind of enabled this this work migration? The kind of regulations that were normally in place to protect you were all relaxed during Katrina, specifically for the Gulf Coast area. And so that enabled the employers to do as they pleased. And I hate to say it that way, but that's exactly what they did. And they were allowed to set the wages really low, uh, throw people into unsafe environments without the proper training, without the proper protection. And you saw a lot of the local advocates stand up to protect those folks. So there was this fear of the Latinos who came to work after Katrina taking the service jobs that were available here. Also, more affordable housing, too. There was a fear of that. So people who'd left and were hoping to come back to this town that they'd been living in were afraid that that some of those things, those fundamental things about living here, wouldn't be here for them, right? Yeah, those fears did exist, um, but they were unfounded. I mean, the majority of of the reality stemmed around for the Latino community, particularly this undocumented new migrant population that had just arrived, uh, their their life experiences were about fear. Being here without the proper documentation only made them victims of the employers. And there was an element of a conversation around the African-American community, whether or not they should support these workers or not, because they could be perceived, and some circles were, as folks taking their jobs. Uh, and the, the, the problem is that all those perspectives, while certainly centered on real deep emotions, uh, not based on fact. What was it like for the existing Latino community, like you and your family, when you noticed there were a lot more Spanish speakers around? Yeah, well, as a... As do you a, remember? Yeah, like oh, I do. Moment? I was driving around Central City. This is like December 2005 and then January 2006. And I'm seeing Latinos walking around on Jackson Avenue. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? Where are these people coming from? Because, you know, I've been here my whole life, and I've never seen any Latinos walking on Jackson Avenue in broad daylight. It's just just something you hadn't seen before, 2005. With any big disaster like Hurricane Katrina and the floods, there's always also a side of that that, that's positive for some people. There's growth involved. There's... You know, new things happen, and it seems like in the case of the Latino population, there was a, a big opportunity, and, and it's turned into a longer one. Yeah, this store is a prime example, right? We're sitting at um, Norma's Cafe uh, in uh, Mid-City on Bienville, and <clears throat> before the storm, Norma's Cafe wasn't here. Norma's Bakery existed in Kenner, and so Norma expanded, knowing that there's a market here in New Orleans. Not only did she expand, but then we have this new grocery store called Ideal, or Ideal, uh, which is everywhere. This, these are all opportunities because folks recognize, oh, we have a larger Latino market now. We can actually make a living. We can have a, have a business catering to this community. That's Lucas Diaz of Tulane University discussing his research with Elizabeth Fussell of Brown University on the growth of the Latino community in New Orleans. Diaz remembers going to the original Norma's Bakery in the suburb of Kenner as a kid. He says they make the best birthday cakes. Indeed, more and more Central American cuisines have popped up since the storm hit. It's not hard to find tacos, baleadas, tortas, and other Latin staples around town. Producer Lane Kaplan-Levinson set out to explore the Honduran food scene in New Orleans. On a Sunday afternoon in August, the all-Latino Pelican Soccer League is in playoffs at one of New Orleans City Park's soccer fields. Hundreds have come to cheer on their husbands, brothers, uncles, and friends. It's a family affair. Donna Gloria, a native of Honduras, is deep-frying chicken parts under a large tent on the sidelines. 
She's surrounded by fryers and flaming grills in the 90-degree heat. Gloria is the on-site chef for the league and cooks for the crowds every Saturday and Sunday from February to November. She builds complex flavors with simple ingredients. I've lived here for 30 years, and everyone knows me as Doña Gloria, the great cook. And here I am. She's got beef and pork on the grill, rice and beans simmering, and potato salad on the side. Gloria is also making baleadas. A baleada is a wheat flour tortilla, but thicker than you'd expect, like an Indian naan. It's folded in half and filled with beans, cheese, eggs, meat, and if you're lucky, avocado. This is one of the country's most popular breakfast and snack items. Gloria dreams of having a restaurant one day, but for now, she serves her loyal customer base on the field. She came here in the 80s as a single mother with her daughters. She knew others who left Honduras in search of the comforts and opportunity they heard the states had to offer, and New Orleans was a common destination. It has been for the past century. New Orleans, with its port, has this rich history with the fruit trade, specifically bananas. This is Sarah Fouts, a doctoral candidate at Tulane University researching Latinos in the U.S. and their foodways. The biggest name that, that's most familiar is Samuel Zamuri, also known as Sam the Banana Man. A Russian Jew immigrant, but ended up in New Orleans. Started selling like rotten bananas on the street and kind of, you know, earned some capital. And he realized there was a market to, you know, kind of add the northeastern coast of Honduras to bring bananas in through the port of New Orleans. Zamuri met an ex-Honduran president named Manuel Bonilla, who was living in exile in the French Quarter. Bonilla told him Honduras was bountiful with bananas and that he could help him start a business. This was in 1898, when 21-year-old Zamuri had already made $100,000 by scouring for the overripe bananas being thrown out at the port and selling those to street grocers for cheap. This is when the story gets crazy. Zamuri, Bonilla, and two mercenaries joined forces, bought a steamship, filled it with weapons, went to Honduras, overthrew the government, and put Bonilla back in power. Bonilla then gave Zamuri 5,000 acres of land to start importing bananas back to New Orleans. And so that kind of started his business, which ended up being the United Fruit Company. I think that created this early relationships with Hondurans and New Orleans. So who is coming today is kind of like this, you know, I have a cousin or I know someone that's in New Orleans. That's why I'm in New Orleans. Just word of mouth and having like those early connections. Elizabeth Oviedo, a native of Honduras, moved from Houston to New Orleans to work in disaster cleanup after Katrina. We were in the schools, cleaning out the books, the trash, water, the furniture. When the work ended, a lot of people went back to Houston. But I couldn't go back because I came to pursue a dream. I stayed with some friends here. The work ended, but I started to cook. They would go to work for the day, and I would cook. And in the afternoons, I'd serve them food. The whole time I was thinking, when I can rent a house, I'm going to run my restaurant out of that house. And that's how I got started. The people Elizabeth cooked for were the day laborers from all over Central and South America who continued in the rebuilding process after the storm. Elizabeth saved up $80,000 that first year feeding the day laborers. She drew so much attention from the dozens of cars parked outside her house each day that city officials showed up to see what was going on. They knocked on my door and asked, you sell food here? And I said, yeah. And they said, 
You can't sell food here anymore because it's not legal. They told me, look for a place. We're not going to fine you. We'll help you. I had the money, but I didn't have any knowledge of how to rent a place, the permits, and they helped me. The guy that had shut me down in the first place, he came and brought all the permits to me. They followed up with me until I opened the restaurant. And so Elizabeth has succeeded in what many Honduran cooks dream of, a real brick-and-mortar business. She runs Telemar on Tulane Avenue. This restaurant serves a particular clientele. We get a lot of men, mostly men. A lot of them aren't married, and they don't have someone to cook for them. They go to work, then they come here to eat. That's Lane Kaplan-Levinson sampling Honduran food in New Orleans. The full story aired on Gravy, a podcast from the Southern Foodways Alliance. You can find the link at wwno.org. Let's stick around that colorful cantina Telemar for a few more minutes. Producer Kate Richardson was there on a recent Sunday night. A glamorous woman in formal wear leads the band and works the crowd. Her name is Nina Liray. L-E-R-A-Y, Liray. Her group is called Nina y Susón de Caché, which more or less translates to Nina and her glamour band. Nina's from Venezuela. Fifteen years ago, she married a guy from Louisiana, and they moved to Thibodeau, south of New Orleans. She says her first few years in Louisiana, she didn't have anyone to speak Spanish with. Which actually helped her learn English quicker. But now she's surrounded by Spanish all the time. Nina says lots of Latin American immigrants came to New Orleans after Katrina. And people are still coming, often for the same reasons that most of us come to New Orleans. They say they like New Orleans because everything is close. There's less traffic than New York and Houston. They like it for the slower pace of life than other cities in the U.S. Every Sunday night for the past three years, Nina and her band have entertained the mostly male audience at Telemar. She has to deal with a lot of drunks, but she makes them part of her show. She banters with them. No matter how you look, how uh, who you are, you know I treat everybody equal here. I don't care if they're ugly, they're not drunk, they're drunk. Yeah, everybody for me is equal. You can find Nina y Susón de Caché every Sunday night at Telemar on Tulane Avenue. Restaurants and public services are one way to gauge the demographics of a city. Another way? Scan the radio dial. Radio Tropical Caliente is the longest-running Spanish-language radio station in Louisiana. 
Most of their programming is music and entertainment. But every morning from 6 to 7.30, there's a show called En Broma o En Serio, which means joking or seriously. Muy buenos días, una vez más, son las 6 de la mañana con 25 minutos, las 6 de la mañana con 25 Honduras natives Brenda Murphy and Dagoberto Romero host En Broma o En Serio. And Brenda's 18-year-old daughter, Yolanda Andrade, runs the soundboard. Sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's serious. The name is En Broma o En Serio because uh, we integrate um, local issues, national issues, but the most important thing is we try to inform the community and we try to involve and empower people, Latino people, and try to unite people. And this city. Se detenga. Necesitamos, necesitamos que Nueva Orleans sepa, que lo sepa y que lo vea, que la comunidad latina en este estado ha crecido, que la comunidad latina en esta ciudad. When I came, the few people speak Spanish, and if if I compare the past and the future or, or, or right now, the changes are big, especially after Katrina. Juan Orlando Hernández para tratar asuntos relacionados con seguridad, gobernabilidad y migración. This state need more more support for Latinos because we don't have any driver license, special driver license for Latinos immigrants. We don't have uh, many uh, health programs for Latinos, but but I think that the government is working on that and hopefully and uh, soon we can see more more changes uh, for benefit the Latino community. That's Brenda Murphy and Dagoberto Romero, the hosts of Embroma or En Serio, the weekday morning show on 105.7 FM Radio Tropical Caliente. And that's where we'll put down this piece of Katrina Debris, Lo Que Queda. You can find our podcast every week through the end of August on iTunes or use the podcast app on your smartphone. Just search for WWNO and Katrina the Debris. Eve Tro is the executive producer of The Debris. Our producer is Kate Richardson. The digital director is Jason Saul. Paul Mawson is general manager of WWNO. Special thanks this week to Janet Wilson and Rocio Peguero. Katrina, the debris is produced right here in New Orleans. If you like it, want to hear more, consider supporting New Orleans Public Radio. You can do that at WWNO.org. Support also comes from Dirty Coast Press. Learn more about their locally designed and produced products at DirtyCoast.com. I'm your host, Jesse Hardman. Until next time, be well, be good, be safe, and thanks. <laughs>